Korak Thumb Earthlets. My name is Conrad, and this is the seventh episode of Space Spinner Reaction, podcast where we try to make sense of the UK's own classic comic action three issues at a time. This issue, we're covering action for June and July 1976, issues 19 to 21. This episode, we head out on Hell's Highway, Lefty sells some gnomes, Dredger checks out the Olympics, and Hookjaw goes to a nice restaurant. <laughs> but besides the actual action, this episode, we've got a special guest host, Stephen Reed of Everything Comes Back to 2000 AD. Welcome to the show. Hooray! Thanks for having me. No problem. Just, you know, happy to have someone aboard talk about this action. Yeah, and... Uh, and now we're at the one thing that a 2000 AD itself comes back to. So it's good times. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. My, um, my earliest memory of action, like I, I, I'm a prog runner. I got to doesn't even prog one. Mm-hmm. Um, but my early memory of my only memory of action actually was, <laughs> uh, I did have an action annual. Oh, nice. I, I think it's the, the one with the green cover with two guys beating the crap out of each other on it. I think it might've <laughs> been dredger on the cover. Um, and uh, I did pick up some old issues at a local church jumble sale. Mm-hmm. Where, the, the, you know, you go down to the, you know, it would be like a, a yeah, like comic sale. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah. The com- they'd have tons of comics there. They're all like uh, like 10p or 5p. So you, you grab a ton of them, you know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'd, I'd grab like a lot of hot spurs that had King Cobra on it on the front. Mm-hmm. Um, I love King Cobra and Nick Jolly, even though I didn't. What's really funny is we're talking before about Ron Smith. I didn't like Ron Smith's appreciate Ron Smith's artwork in in Dread, but for some reason I thought it was a different artist on Nick Jolly and and uh, <laughs> King Cobra. It's the same guy, but I, I'd pick up old issues there, like cheeky, crazy stuff like that, and mm-hmm. action. I picked up a a couple of issues of action, and I found it really interesting that one of the characters was called Dredger, and yet in 2008 there's a guy called Dread. Oh yeah, that is interesting. I mean, I think there's a lot of name overlap. I <laughs> if you sort of oh, look yeah. into it, especially here, you know? when we get to um, yeah, to, to Death Game, yeah, Death Game, yeah. Especially <laughs> when we get to there, and I know a clue that the same writers that were writing for 2008 were writing for Action. Mm-hmm. I think they have a clue that uh, wasn't it Pat Mills that that was behind Action. Yeah, he did some early stuff, and and he's and he writes like like Hookjaw and stuff. But honestly, the writers are all the same writers as 2000 AD. It's all yeah, the same yeah. guys. Basically. So it, it didn't occur to me then, like only later, you know, reading more about the history of action and how it got banned and mm-hmm. came back neutered and stuff like that. You know, that later on to, to fill in my 2000 AD history, I suppose. Yeah. No, if that, I mean, that's what it's been for me. Um, I feel like every time you read anything that's about like the history of 2000 AD, they always start by talking about action. So I feel like it would be, an, yeah, you know, so this show is just a, a, a chance to go back and see sort of these yeah, early influences like action and paved stuff. the way for, yeah. for 2008. Yeah, just this idea of like this different kinds of writing, um, like boys comics or something that sort of starts in action and goes to 2000 AD. Although 2000 AD still has a very different style, I think. This still still feels very old. Yeah, <laughs> because um, action, you'd had, what, two, three pages per story? Yeah, exactly. And that was kind of like the format for all of boys' comics back then. Um, even the, the DC Thompson stuff would have two pages, but they'd cram like 10 panels or 12 right. panels on yeah. the page. Like, holy crap, man. And I think it was Pat that decided to give it a more American... Yeah, uh, touch with a European feel like that. That you know, he looked at American comic books and saw that they had big splash pages. 
Yeah, so. it's yeah, it's 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 insane how cluttered some of these action like pan, like pages feel. They just there's so much going on with them in comparison right. even to like 2000 AD where they the stories are actually longer in terms of pages, but I feel like less happens in each individual issue. Yeah, and and you, you can tell in some of the storytelling in in action the, the writers that they crammed they're trying to cram all the information in. Yeah, that some of it is, it's actually pretty funny how they do it. It's everything's you know? all like because they they're all moving, complete yeah. stories, right? There's no, none real continue. I think the only one is continuing is Hookjaw, right? Isn't isn't the like Hookjaw and Blackjack? I think are the only ones that aren't like just completely episodic, right? Because Dredge, Dredger's episodic. At the end of Dredger, that's the end of his mission. Then yeah. the next one, that's the end of his mission. So they have to cram as much info as they could in there. And <laughs> yeah. Some of it's hilarious how they did it. We'll, oh, we'll my find God, out yeah. when we get to it. No, we'll, I love we'll, it. We'll, I, we'll, <laughs> that's the thing that I love about Dredger. Well, yeah. Let's, it's, he's insane. It's true. Uh, uh, and speaking of which, actually, let's get going with uh, Story One Dredger. <laughs> so uh, Ke- Kelvin Gosnell writes Dredger, you know, the first or the second, I guess, 2000 AD editor. And this one starts with a, a rare splash page. As we see a, a remote control guided missile test in Australia with a missile turning around and hitting the controllers in a giant explosion. Um, the uh, breed in, uh, breed sent to investigate and we see him in the lab in like his uh, thinky glasses and, and, and lab coat because he's undercover. But he's <laughs> immediately found out by the chief technician who turns out to be a traitor and pulls his gun on him. Luckily, there's a janitor walking by at the time. It's Dredger! <laughs> you, know, you know what else is lucky too? Yeah, the guy. The guy is such a bad saboteur. He reveals that there's two other guys in on yeah, it. Yeah, he immediately just tells his whole plot right away. Yeah, that, that's what I mean. That's what we're saying. That there's so much crammed in that they yeah. have. They only had three pages to do it. So the writer said, "Well, how am I going to get these two other guys to come?" Ah, oh, he'll give it away because he's an idiot. Yeah. So they take him into a room <laughs> to question him, and it's this. Uh, it's a sealed room with mechanical hands and a vial of bubonic plague, which they threaten to break and expose him to the plague if he doesn't talk. And he quickly spills the beans. And I like this one because it feels like it's a. It's an informant locked in a room with a vial of poison gas. It's like Schrodinger's interrogation. <laughs> you know, <laughs> the, the information's in a quantum state, uh, but. He quickly spills the beans. It's it's that Professor Werner and his assistant. The agents go to arrest Werner, uh, and the doc and he releases like a nerve gas into the room. But Dredger hits fire extinguishers to take the gas out. Would that actually work? I mean, I guess because I think it's actually like tear gas instead of nerve gas. Because I think nerve no, gas no, just the fact kills you. Turns on the alarm by shooting it with a bullet. Oh, I mean, you know. I think this is just following action movie rules or even like Western rules where you can just do it. Like if you shoot anything, it'll sort of do it, you know, <laughs> like, like it's, it's like the Simpsons went, went the Simpsons episode when Homer has a gun and he's able to turn the light, like turn the TV off by shooting it and then turn it back on by shooting it. You yeah. know, it's just sort of, it's just how it works, I guess. So they're, um, they're hunting the professor and they find the assistant hiding near a chlorine gas truck. Which a dredger also shoots, so it's good times. Is there anything in the strip he doesn't shoot? I mean, not really, you know. <laughs> you so, know, you know, it would be great if if you photocopied the strip but blanked out all the word balloons and added in your own dialogue. So much of it's, I mean, because so much of it is just exactly what I'd say, where it's like, oh, chlorine gas, like that burns too. <laughs> he just shoots <laughs> it and explodes, you know. He, he's like McBain. Yeah, I know, like. What I love about Dredger is just that he's this total parody because it has to be so fast. 
he's just this like archetypal action character that or you know action movie guy that just runs around shooting people and like making one-liners and stuff they corner the the doctor at this helicopter where he's taking a lady as a hostage like holding the gun to her head but before Breed dredger could do anything the lady judo throws Werner, and the guys gun him down oh man <laughs> and then well here's the thing she throws him over right and she says how's this for help is your fat slug he's not that fucking big <laughs> Just a regular, he's, sli- he's slightly overweight, or just a regular dude. So hurtful, you know these uh, these, these Europeans <laughs> no. and their and their body image issues, you know. <laughs> and then crazy. she reveals herself to be a NATO agent and fully immune to Breed's uh, seduction techniques. <laughs> well, they they have their hashtag Me Too moment at the end where he said that you touch touch the old James Bond at the casino. There you go, man. If it had been Dredger, he would have he would have judo shopped. Uh, he would have judo thrown Werner right into the blades of the helicopter, and now I'm feeling <laughs> like let down by it, you know. <laughs> so next up, it's the 1976 Peace Games, which are clearly the Olympics, and some terrorists are breaking in. They're planting mines under the track, which God, that just sounds like it'd be so ridiculous of like a bunch of guys well, doing a hundred meter it, dash like and the whole yeah, the yeah. bumps in the running track. Oh my God. <laughs> Like yeah, what do you? But then, what if it worked? That was just how the Olympics started. I don't know. I'm just gruesome, I guess. But uh, luckily, was there something similar to Savage? Well, like he shot those guys in Wembley Stadium on TV, as I recall. Oh, there you go. And they're singing "You Never Walk Alone." Yeah, exactly. <laughs> He'd never sing that because he wouldn't be a Liverpool supporter. Only Liverpool supporters sing "You Never Walk Alone." You know, like he just had to commandeer it. That's a, it was a misinformation, you know, so they think he was somebody that he wasn't, you know. <laughs> but so the lights come on, they kill all the, uh, Dredger kills all these, uh, terrorists, but one surrenders. And before Dredger could torture him, boo, the authorities show up and take him prisoner. But then as they're, as he's taken away, the prisoner's killed by a sniper. Ooh, these soft West German officials. <laughs> The agents talk directly to the German president, and Dredger suggests that they strike first, but before they can do that, they have to go meet the British national team as they arrive. On the uh, on the team bus, they arrive at a checkpoint, and when they do, it turns out to be a fake checkpoint, and they're attacked by these Iron Commando terrorists. Good God. I, mean, real- I, all the, I think all the bad guys here are either Soviet or, or Nazis, right? Yeah, um, they're like, yeah, they're like East, East German are, are are or Soviets. Yeah, it's a very Cold War story, you know. But although, although, do, although actually, um, some terrorist groups do show up. I think it was like the Black Mole terrorists or something like that. But they're all very like, they're less like sort of the, like, um, like a Middle Eastern terrorist, like I think of today, and more sort of like diehard style, like smooth <laughs> Eastern right. European terrorists. You know what I yeah. mean? <laughs> like they've all got like accents and smoke fancy cigarettes or whatever. You know? <laughs> like they're like the jackal or something like that. Um, so it's a fake roadblock. A lot of fake roadblocks this episode just because of Hell's Highway, I guess. Um <laughs> Dredger takes the wheel and blasts through the roadblock and they get to the stadium and everything seems okay until the speakers for the game start to malfunction and Dredger notices that the people repairing it are suspicious. They've got mortars! Oh, man. 
Dredger jumps onto the track where the um, Olympic flame is being brought in, grabs the torch, and throws it at the terrorists. How how, how far away do you think he is from them? Really? I mean, it's like two, like, 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 sets of stands up. You know, it's like a full state. It's like a soccer state. There's no way. You you know, they they should have, you should redraw this and have (laughs) the actual torch hitting the crowd. Mm. Right? That causes a panic because people are burning, so the terrorists freak out and leave. <laughs> nah, man, because instead he just gets it up there and uh, he blows up, and they put up a security cord, and, and I think uh, like a uh, like a breed man just to lampshade at the end by saying that like um because Dredger was able to throw the torch up there, he's probably the strongest guy at the Olympic Games. How, how many how many people do you think he killed from that debris falling on top of them? I mean, you gotta think a lot, you know. <laughs> like, he killed 20 people, but he saved a day. I mean, hey, so long as, like, he's the one doing it instead of the terrorists doing it, then that's a win. You know, I, th- that's, I understand the calculus of of secret agenting, I guess. Because that's, like, you know, that's what all the secret agent movies do. Like, a couple people have to die to show that it, it's important. But that's fine, because the bad guy gets arrested in the end, you know. <laughs> So finally, Dredger is insane. It's so good, man. I just like everyone talks about Hookjaw, but Dredger is always just like I'm. I'm always, my mouth is always agape by the end of each Dredger episode. <laughs> <laughs> so now they're at Carnival in a in Rio de Janeiro. Bree and Dredger are 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 finding a, a, a British agent, but he's like melting to death. Like he's rapid, his body's rapidly decomposing. He turns to dust in front of him. Um, but they can't investigate it because they come under attack from a gunman on the fifth story above them. Dredger runs up the fire escape after them, but goes in the fourth floor window, not the fifth. Breed comes after Dredger and goes in the correct window, but the bad guys are waiting for him and like sort of ambush him as he comes to the window. Luckily, Dredger barges in the front door and like <laughs> takes him out. He causes one of the bad guys to inject the other with a needle full of the rapid decomposition stuff. And they quickly interrogate the remaining agent and learn that it's being made by the evil Dr. Strasser. Who intends to use it on the world's water supplies, which is a very James Bond kind of moment, honestly. Yeah, yeah. So we cut to Dr. Strasser and you know, eating dinner at a fancy restaurant and how the like the English won't negotiate with him or something. Um when he's um a fan- when his waiter draws a gun, it's Dredger! <laughs> He and Breed try to arrest Strasser, but in the chaos of Carnival, but, 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 but the chaos of Carnival works against them, and Strasser's grabbed by a bunch of his goons that drive away in a par- in a parade float. But not before Dredger's able to stick the doctor with his own form with a needle full of his own formula, and Breed is able to shoot a lamp on the float that causes the whole thing to go up in flames. <laughs> <laughs> Just giant flaming, um, flaming parade float. Everybody aboard dies. The goons burn to death, and Strasser died of some kind of like heart attack. Probably the dancers too. Whatever's on the float probably oh, got yeah. it too. Yeah, I mean, listen, like again, like it was a it was a float in the middle of a crowded carnival. Like there's gunshots and just like things flaming all over the place. Again, pretty bad. <laughs> the goons burned to death, and Strasser died of fright because he had a heart attack because he thought he'd been injected with his own serum, but Dredger actually didn't do that. He just did it specifically to have Strasser die of fright because that's how he operates. Oh. <laughs> you know, it, it, one thing you learn from reading. 
treasure strips. If you're an overweight foreign national, chances are you're a bad guy. I mean, you know, it's very much like the shorthand. Like, oh, that guy's bald, and he's like a little overweight, and he's got an accent. He's got to be evil. He said he says stuff like "Die Schweinhund," and you know, you're, yeah. I mean, it's, you know, he's a bad guy. It's like being in a movie these days and like smoking and having an English accent. You know, like okay, like well, well, well you're evil, so we could just sort of operate from that perspective. You know, so it's like um, you should have a drinking game with action, right? That anytime you hear the Germans in it, like if it's Helmut Hammer Force or you know uh, what was the one, the Green, the two Green's, uh, Green's Grudge War, yeah, yeah, Green's Grudge War. Whenever you hear uh, a Nazi say, or a German soldier say, Gott in Himmel, you take a swig. Oh, my God. <laughs> that feels like you die. Well, I mean, you wouldn't die as fast if you were reading, like, like a battle or something. But I think I feel like you'd still <laughs> die pretty fast. Gott in Himmel. <laughs> God, yeah. Well, like, you know, they don't say that as much in in, uh, in Hellman because they don't die as much. You know, they're, oh, less, no. they're less surprised. You got to do... damn Yankees. That, yeah, you, that, you go the other way. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, but uh, speaking of strips where there's a lot going on, let's go to Story 2, Blackjack. So Blackjack's written by John Wagner, and the artist is Trigo. And we're right at the end of part one of Blackjack, as Blackjack Baron is fighting world champ Malcolm Dolly for the championship of, like, like the world championship of boxing at Wembley Stadium. He was on the verge of winning last episode when a guy in the crowd threw a bottle at him and really exasperated the blindness he's been fighting for this whole comic. He's now totally, now totally blind. Blackjack has to win fast. He like manages to trick the fight doctor into not into to, to thinking he's not blind by like his uh one of his ringmen like coughing for the number of fingers that that that, that he's holding up. Um and yeah, listen, he goes to fight, but being blind makes it hard to box. I think we can all agree on that. He goes down at the end of the round and like you know gets up at nine and the round ends. Luckily, in his corners, men say that uh, Dally's left eye is swelling up really bad, too. So Blackjack switches to a southpaw or left-handed style to slightly even up the, slight ad- the sight advantage, which lets him eventually land some key punches and take down the champ with a massive uppercut. Dally's knocked out. Jack is the champion. But as he gives a post-fight interview, he gets woozy and he passes out. We see him taken to surgery. And we find out that he's completely blind. Oh, no. And then weeks later, he's greeted by a roaring crowd. And the news that his title has been vacated. Was it worth it for Blackjack? Blackjack says yes. It's funny how they, they prevented any brain damage. They specifically say, like, yeah, let's they, need- Yeah, yeah. But it, this is kind of like the natural ending for Blackjack. Mm-hmm. And it's really funny how they continued it on. I like, mean, they're, yeah. they're, they're really, if you're going to end the strip, that, that would be it, right? Where he's, he, it's bittersweet, he's blind, but he'll always remember that he was the champion. Yeah, no, it's such right? an, yeah, it's, it's the, it's the, it's an incredibly obvious, like, all right, like, well, sort of wistful, it's a bittersweet end to Blackjack. We can sort of, you know, like, he won, and that's cool, he paid the price for it, but sometimes you got to pay the price to fulfill your dreams and stuff. Absolutely. Right, right. And this reminded me of, um, uh, Muhammad Ali versus Sonny Liston. Hmm. Um, Sonny Liston put some stuff on his on his gloves, so every time he hit Ma- A- Ali in the in the face, it would go into his eyes. Oh my God! Yeah, did you not hear about that? I I I remember something about that. I'm I'm not a huge like boxing guy, but I, I've I, I've heard that that that's terrible. Yeah, yeah, and I think uh, I think eventually I think I think that was the one that he won, mm-hmm. Muhammad Ali. I have to I have to read about that again, but 
Yeah, so it's like yeah, life uh, imitating art, art imitating right. life, whatever. It's been funny all the little, like in the course of, of, of this part of Blackjack, all of the like little things that are clearly references to other um, to other boxers and stuff, you know, whether it's right. George it's George Foreman or like this or Muhammad Ali here or uh, other guys for sure. But listen, yeah. that that can't be the end of Blackjack, all right? Instead. <laughs> It should have been the natural end for Blackjack, yeah. but instead... In, instead, let's go to Blackjack Part 2. <laughs> Post-championship, Jack has a nice apartment in New York City. He's hanging out with his buddies, Solly and Yank. And yeah, he's just blind, living off his past, winning. Winnings. There's a doctor who might be able to help his sight, Bertil Jansen. But there's also worry about his ability to pay because despite the money from the big fight, he's now like spending a lot of money. And, and like they, they say that the tax man took money from the winnings like three times in the course of this opening page, which I thought was pretty funny. Like just like, yeah, that the British and American taxes. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> just like just that that one Beatles song over and over again, you know. Um, but so. Sorry, but but so yeah, so Jack's kind of he, he's not out of cash already, but he's running Listen, low. It's not, it's not it's not that hard for you to lose your place with some of these stories because there's yeah. so much happening well, in I three mean, pages. Like Blackjack, especially, just has like four different plots going on at the yeah, same yeah, time. Yeah. So worried about this situation, Jack goes out to think. He overhears people start to recognize him as like the former champ and stuff as he walks out, like with like his dark glasses and cane and things. But suddenly, a scream rings out, and Jack goes to investigate. A lady's being mugged in a back alley. Jack goes to intervene, and he's able to beat these guys up, despite, you know, being totally blind. <laughs> he gets hit in the fight, and weirdly, the blow to the head causes him to be able to start to make out shapes, which is odd, I guess. It's very, very Gilligan's Island-like view of blindness. Like, all right, like, punching got me blind. Punching's gonna let me see again, almost. <laughs> um... So but, how the strip ends is they take Blackjack into a back alley and beat the shit out of him again. I guess. See if he gets, it's like completely back. You know, maybe that's the part that's like that got censored at the end of action, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so some smooth, move, some smooth moves later, Jack saves the lady and brings her back to his apartment where he gets the bad news that th- this Dr. Jansen uh, guy was in a massive car accident and might die before he can help Blackjack. When, when have you ever heard a news report of a of a surgeon that got hit in a car accident between Bristol Hospital. I mean, never. You'd have never. to like, even if it was like the president's doctor or something, you wouldn't yeah, hear like, about it. You would, there wouldn't be a news report about it. Like just some Joe. Maybe they're watching like the Eye Channel or something like. Some, <laughs> it's a magical like 1976 it's super a channel sp- for the blind. Yeah, super specific TV channel. That's about yeah for the blind. So they cover all the eye all the eye related news. You know. <laughs> But anyhow, let's check out Blackjack's new hobby, which is jump kicking dudes. <laughs> um, you know what? It makes total sense because this is the seventies, right? Why not? You know, and and Enter the Dragon, all, yeah. the, all the kung fu stuff was coming out around. It's that definitely time. like yeah, like like we've seen a couple black exploitation movies, so Blackjack has to be into kung fu now, basically. right? So it makes sense that you, I mean, when you think about it, blind a blind kung fu artist. I mean, yeah, that that's got its own things. It's got it's on that, both ends. That totally suits the seventies. Like <laughs> yeah. in the seventies, didn't you have a master of kung fu? Mm-hmm. He had a blind master. Yeah, or no, that was yeah, the uh, kung fu, the, uh, the journeys or whatever. That's kung fu, and then you had Shang Chi. Yeah, you know all all the, the like in the seventies there was a huge uh, 
uh, influx of uh, kung fu comics. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it all got it, it entered the zeitgeist and it was all over the place. Yeah, so John Wagner was must have went. Well, I can't really end blackjack here. What's popular? Kung fu. Okay, of course, here we go. Yeah. <laughs> I thought this was just going to be a kung fu strip, but there's a lot of other stuff going on in here. I gotta say, <laughs> right, right. Um, so he's learning self defense. It's also focusing his mind on other things. So it's sort of a mashup of uh, Daredevil and Iron Fist from the Netflix shows. You know. Um, Jack's walking back with his sensei where they're attacked by thugs. A lot of thug attacking. I guess that's just 1976 New York City. <laughs> and these guys, unable to handle an old man and a blind guy, instead Blackjack just kicks the crap out of them using kung fu, using hot well, see, moves. see, if this is Giuliani's New York, it would just be two mascots in New York and Times Square beating the crap out of each other. <laughs> Perhaps, yeah, it wouldn't right. have any thugs running around because no, he cleaned yeah. up that city. Yeah, this is the old days, you know. <laughs> This is what we're trying to get away from, I guess. Uh, back at his apartment, uh, the Lady Jack saved uh, Cass offers him, at, like she set up an interview for him with a talent agent to be a lounge singer. We saw Blackjack do a little bit of, of singing during the original run. So I guess we're, we're, we're building up this part of his character as well. Um, but when Jack arrives at the office, he's just in time to see the agent Lennox be killed by another agent named Pirelli. Oh, no. Jack arrives just in time, and Pirelli tries to sneak past Jack because he's blind, but is unsuccessful. They get into a scuffle, and Jack's able to feel Pirelli's face, including the fact that he's got a missing ear, which is real distinctive and stuff. That will come in handy. Indeed. Jack goes to check on the dead body, and then Pirelli decides that he's going to pull a scheme here. He charges back into the room and accuses Jack of the murder. Like, oh, you killed that guy. I'll tell you what, that John Lennon picture in the background of that panel looks freaky. He looks like a communist dictator or something yeah. like that. It feels real prescient, too. It seems weird that you'd have, the, like, yeah, the uh, the agent's um, office has this big, big, like, yeah, like Maharishi-era John Lennon poster in the back. It seems weird to have in 1976, almost. Like, that feels like something you'd have in, like, 80 or something when you're, like, right. or 81 when you're memorializing him, as opposed to just sort of being, like, yeah, John Lennon fan here. Like, li- live it up, you know? Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, so next time, more nasty accidents for Blackjack. And so <laughs> I've, I've read ahead a little bit, and I can tell you that now Blackjack is going to have like five different plots going on. There's <laughs> there's the Eye Doctor, all right? There's the Hopkido. There's his beginning uh, lounge singing act. There's you know, <laughs> you know, there should be there should be an action crossover with Blackjack and Dredger. Oh, I want everything to, to cross over. I want the accident that Pirelli was in to be caused by the guys in Hell's Highway so much. <laughs> yeah. Or uh, Dredger gets admission down in Florida or something that comes across Hookjaw. <sighs> oh, my God. I, I don't you know, know if I could. You, hey, I couldn't handle a, that. You know, there's a fanzine in that, right? I feel a, like. A, a one shot 20 page comic book featuring all the action characters. I feel like Dredger and Hookjaw meeting up would be like matter and antimatter meeting and just like destroy the universe. <laughs> <laughs> it's too. Like they just, they just kill each They just like somehow kill each other at the same time. It'd be amazing. <laughs> Or kill everybody else and it'd just be them fighting it out. You know? if, if you ever wanted to do a fanzine, triple dog dare you to do that. As oh, a, like a, do a do a reaction fanzine. Oh, right. I, I, I might. I don't know. I got time. But uh, yeah, all, all these guys crossing over just seems so ridiculous. Oh, geez. But speaking of weird, unintentional crossovers, it's Story 3, Death Game 1999. Uh, writer's Tom Tully, the artist is Costa of the Gioletti Agency. 
And it's 1999. Joe Taggart plays spinball for Carson City Prison. And right now he's in his first game against the Fort Lash Fiends. He's just been knocked out by a prison guard when he yelled at like the warden for being too brutal or something. And he's not coming too fast enough, so they toss him in the revival chair, which is just literally just like an electric chair on like low wattage. <laughs> just like toss him in there, give him some zaps and see if he makes it. He might die, but who cares? The artwork on this is really interesting. It's, it's kind of it's kind of weird compared to the rest of the artwork in the mm-hmm. in the issue. Yeah, it feels like everything feels so smashed together with Death Game. Yeah, like squished. Yeah, I mean, we talked. I I I think yeah, we we talked earlier about them trying desperately to fit the whole story into like three pages, and it really shows here. Like, there's no especially there, on the there, second page of that installment. There's eleven yeah. panels there. No, 12, yeah. actually. One, two, three, four, five. Like, they get eight, maybe nine, one big ten, page. No, 11. Yeah, they get maybe one big page, and the rest of it's just like, we got to get it all in here. <laughs> so all this stuff happens, and there's, ba- there's there's not enough room for any individual moment to breathe, almost. Because they're just trying to get one thing to the next, basically. Uh, it's, it's interesting that you have a Joe and Rico in this, too. Oh, my. I'm, I'm like, you know, re- return to Rico. It's time, you know? <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's right. And he's Joe Taggart. That's freaking me out now. <laughs> I don't like this. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so on the field, Eddie Gorman, Joe's old friend, is being hounded by the fiends. And things look bad until Joe Taggart suddenly jumps out. Hold this, daddy-o! He, Joe goes crazy on the ice. He's tossing dudes into flippers, intercepting the ball, and playing very hard defense. Like, he's just sort of, like, clearing the ball out. they got to relaunch it and stuff. And, as always, really good defense is not appreciated by the crowd. <laughs> like, they're, they're near to, to, to riot because um, there hasn't been they any violence. Blood. Yeah, they, they, we're just here to see you guys get killed. We don't care about the score. And Taggart like just keeps pointing to scoreboard and saying that they won. They're like we did don't care about explain, that. Did they ever explain how the game works? It's so it's like pinball basically, <laughs> but like it's like pinball and hockey at the same time. Um, but it's also kind of like football because one, or, or, or cricket, I guess, where there's like one side that's always on, on one side's on offense and one side's on defense. And you sort of all, all of one team's offense is round one and all of the other team's offense is round two. Right. So we, so in a previous episode, we saw tag, we, we saw the Carson City teams on offense and they sort of, you know, scored some points, but not a ton. So now, do you it's, think? Do you think that some two. of these games that they have in, in British comics would make good video games? Like spinball less. I feel like um, Mean Arena would be good, right? Mean Arena would be good. I think even the game they they they, they play in Mean Team could be decent because it's got yeah. Kinda... You make it like Madden, where you're able to trade players. Yeah, and... I mean, yeah, it it becomes very like like Mutant League football or something, where it's this sort of yeah. like violent futuristic game, which you add the, si- the same. Yeah, yeah, or a Blood Bowl, all those like yeah, you, Blood Bowl. Yeah, you add the management elements blood, to it. Blood Bowl, absolutely. Yeah, I'm a huge Warhammer guy. I had like a big Skaven team. Yeah, I, all that I stuff. actually brought. I actually bought my version of Blood Bowl. I brought it in Ireland. I nice. brought it with me to the United States. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I love that stuff. The, the, the video games for Blood Bowl are pretty good and actually could be a thing for like a, for like a, 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 a mean arena game or something for how, how it starts out. Although I, I could also see like those games being made into like a Fortnite type Battle Royale thing that would sort of could be popular as well for sure. Yeah. <laughs> so, oh man. <laughs> The fans aren't happy because of lack of violence. Warden Smales isn't happy about it either, but he's got a plan because he's going to bring back 
Ow, Rico. Oh, it's the return of Rico. <laughs> but hey, didn't he die in that game against the Brooklyn Bur- Butchers, a.k.a. got sentenced to, t- to Titan for 20 years? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we see... In the next issue, we see Warden Smales getting yelled at by spinball fans for the boring game. He gets attacked by a fan, but Taggart steps in and helps and like beats the guy up with his chains, basically. But then also Taggart does his usual thing, which is getting super high and mighty towards Smales so that like, you know, like this wouldn't be happening if you weren't marketing this blood sport to America or something. And Smales like, it's just like, screw you, buddy, and denies everybody post-win privileges. And instead, they're just tossed into straight-up rock-breaking duty in the prison yard. Which, man, like, rock-breaking seems real bad, I guess. Especially because they're, they're all, they're super tired, they've been doing it for a week. Like, se- like two people get killed and, like, several more are injured just because Taggart's a proud jerk. It's ridiculous. He just, he doesn't do a lot to make his team like him, I guess. No, by, uh... Being a good guy, he's, yeah, uh, they, but he's punishing him. He's too good. Like this is a dark world. Like you know, <laughs> like you gotta kind of like like go along to get along a little bit. Like the only thing that saves um, Taggart from getting beaten up by his own team is that word comes down that Rico is coming back, despite you know getting chopped into six different pieces w- when he did a death run earlier in the comic. Uh, at the governor's office, a coffin, a literal coffin comes in, and the evil Dr. Jekyll, like, again, literal Dr. Jekyll goes to work. <laughs> Soon, a sealed door is punched open, Incredible Hulk style, and terrible murder cyborg slash proto Artie Gruber, Al, Al Rico, bursts in. I was in. just going to say that. Isn't that, how, isn't that how Artie Gruber makes his reappearance? Yeah, like, that's how, I mean, that's the only way that a powerhouse like this can come back is just to punch and down he even the does the same thing right doesn't Artie try and strangle some guys and then jump out the window run away yeah like you know these are beats that we that that tom tully will mine quite a bit I'm su- oh yeah i'm surprised there's no one called jaws jensen in this one although there was a jensen in blackjack so i don't know like just these names the, the same names keep arena there's a jensen in mean arena and in and in um and in harlem heroes and in this one kid soccer story that tom tully wrote in eagle as well it shows up a lot. Oh, Smokey and Thunderbolt. Smokey and Thunderbolt, yeah. Yeah. I wonder which one's Smokey. <sighs> I never actually saw it. I just listened to it on that on, on a, the Where Eagles Dare podcast. Oh, uh, it's 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 pretty obvious and it's uh it's casual racism. You can uh, tell which guy is Smokey. Oh, uh, of course. Why why why, why <laughs> wouldn't it be? The 80s. Yeah, exactly. Um, so Rico stomps forward, zombie Hulk style. As always, he just sees everybody as a spinball defender and he goes to choke a guard when Jekyll hits him with a remote control that like sends a jolt of electricity into him that knocks him out. I'm sure this won't come up later. <laughs> the, the guard is dead and Jekyll just says that, hey, just Rico needs some reprogramming, at least so he can tell who is on the right team so he won't kill them mindlessly. <laughs> This then leads to a training montage where they teach Rico how to play spinball again, harnessing his massive cyborg strength. Taggart's really concerned about Rico's murderous ways, but and, and like he tells Smales about this, and Smales is like, dude, like I like him because he's murderous. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, he'll bring in the crowds. <laughs> yeah, like the things you're worried about are the things I'm hoping happen. You know? <laughs> yeah. So T- Taggart goes to settle Rico's hash by recruiting the sadistic Mad Otto, a stone killer who spends his days just locked in solitary confinement, breaking boards with his bare hands. 
Taggart offers Otto a chance to play spinball so long as he agrees to kill Rico. So next time, will Otto play spinball or kill Joe? You know, I'm actually, I'm at, the, the artwork on this is so different than all the other strips. It's uh, it's actually grown on me a lot. I'm, I'm liking it a lot. And it's made me want to read the following episodes as well. I want to find out if Otto does kill Rico. I, I can tell you if you want. Oh, go ahead. Spoil it. Oh, it goes real bad for Otto. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm definitely gonna read it. So like, so like, you know, because so spinball is basically like hockey times pinball, right? So when they fire the ball, it comes shooting out at incredible speed, and so Otto and and Rico start like you know going hammer and tongs, fighting each other, and like Rico knocks Otto down and puts his head in the path of the ball as the ball comes shooting out like incredibly fast. And just right. caves his skull in in one of the most graphic pictures I've ever seen in my life. In oh, I'm going to have to check that out now. <laughs> and, then, and then Rico just wanders around like the spinball pitch, grabbing dudes and ripping their throats out until the opposing team just surrenders and says, we don't want to play anymore. It's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> would, you, would you actually get this comic book? If you had a kid, like an eight-year-old kid, would you actually have your kid read this? I mean, I think I've said before, but sometimes I feel like I understand what Mary Whitechurch is talking about with this comic. <laughs> can you imagine? Can you imagine being a kid or White House? Yeah, reading this stuff. I mean, between this and what we're about to get to, it's just always really ridiculous. Just like like yeah. six year olds are reading this. I know for a fact they are because they send in like fan art and stuff. It's yeah, terrible. I, I'm looking at some of the stuff that I have, some of the uh, stuff from the 70s and 80s, like uh, even 2008, right? And even action. And I'm thinking to myself, would I let my grandkid read this? And I'm like, well, I read it at that age. Yeah, but I'm fucked up. <laughs> yeah. So that's, that's I'm like, fair. Nah, I don't yeah. let my grandkid read this stuff. I mean, it's it's really ridiculous. And speaking of, of, of ridiculous ultraviolence, it's story four Hookjaw. Oh, man. Writer Pat Mills, artist Roman Sola. So awesome, man. So Hookjaw, he's a shark. He's real bad. He's been causing a lot of problems. So Mason is calling on help from his native buddy Sharky to do a full voodoo ritual to take him out. Uh, what, you, what you need in this strip is Big Dave uh, resurrected Nelson Mandela to do the voodoo ritual. I mean, at this point, he'd be springing Nelson Mandela from prison, I guess. To do it. <laughs> but either way... <laughs> Yes, the voodoo ritual involves killing a chicken and spilling its blood in the water. Of course. <laughs> and a bunch of melons that have been heated over fire. Yeah, it's, it's ridiculous. How um, can you kill shark with fucking exploding melons? I don't understand. <laughs> the, the sharks all are, are... Okay, so I just want to say, the sharks are all drawn by the blood. The natives paddle out in a canoe with these really hot melons, throw them in the shark's mouth where the melons explode and cause the sharks to explode like they've just eaten grenades. I can't imagine that melons actually explode like that. Did you <laughs> did you Google this? I didn't. <laughs> I if should you Google have. it. All you get is references to Hookjaw. That's amazing. Melons. <laughs> you know, there's nowhere on God's green earth where you, you can have a shark explode from hot melons. I thought they were just gonna like be poisoned melons or something, but no. Like the like the a, sh a shark explodes into like several pieces when they eat these melons. It's ridiculous. <laughs> um, I mean it. 
it still reminds Matuaku. me. Of, it reminds me of the first Hookjaw story where a guy had the bends and he exploded as well. Like that's just sort of how it goes in the world of Hookjaw, I guess. Um, but these are these melon explosions kill a bunch of sharks, but not Hookjaw because he's too smart for human plans, smarter than humans. And instead, he just eats the exploded sharks and overturns the voodoo canoe. You know, as you do, I guess. Uh, Rick swims out to help the voodoo guys, but like the chief voodoo priest is swiftly eaten by, by Hookjaw, of course. He's the bad guy. Yeah. That's, that's typical part. The religious guy gets eaten. Of course. Um, Hook, yeah, so this is a shark on shark feeding frenzy out there. Back on land, the natives all lament that the sharks are like just full, like surrounding their village now. And one of them spots Mason's, uh, t- uh, Hookjaw scar. They grab him and sacrifice him to the sea god Hookjaw, Mantuaku. Yeah, because they think they they cursed he cursed their village. Yeah, I mean he kind of I don't know I kind of <laughs> did. <laughs> Just it's probably the guy who bought the island that cursed your village. Man. I mean th- he's definitely cursing them in a more long term way, but I feel. <laughs> <laughs> but I also feel like like uh, Rick Mason and his weird like you know destined relationship with Hookjaw here is not helping matters. No. Rick Mason is tied to a wooden frame to, in in the surf to be sacrificed, eaten by sharks as the tide comes in. In another move of questionable science, Mason puts his head underwater and screams really loud, which seems to scare the sharks momentarily. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> that doesn't. You know, seem this right. reminds me. Have you have you read Pat Mills' uh, Good Night, John Boy? His uh, his his novels about. Yeah, the editor, the serial killer one. Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The the part where the kid it's, it's tries like, to—it's like he wrote this in there to see if kids would actually stick their heads in the water to yell. <laughs> right, like in that one where the get where the kid dies by trying to breathe water through the dra- through the drain of a bathtub. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's what this reminds me of, that he just put that in there to see if kids would actually do it. I mean, there's so many bad shark attack <laughs> tips in the course of Book John. <laughs> um, yeah, but so Hookjaw, he's like only momentarily frightened by this underwater scream, and instead he swims by and like sideswipes the frame, which knocks Rick out. Rick gets free. He stabs Hookjaw in the gills with part of the wooden frame. It has very little effect, but then Hookjaw suddenly veers off because he's frightened by a giant hovercraft showing up. It's Dr. Gelder, the guy who owns the island. He uh, He saves Rick. He has the guy that tied Rick to the frame just thrown to the sharks where he's instantly killed. Yikes. <laughs> but uh, but Gelder has good news. He's built an underwater restaurant complete with cool escalators to take people down. And it seems like a cool idea until – I we actually get like a cutaway like floor plan of the restaurant and stuff. It seems cool. Yeah, I always thought it was really cool when they did that. When they used to put little uh, blueprints or plans. Absolutely. I'm always a big fan of those. If just because I, I, I like to see how, how big like the, the sleeping quarters and like bathrooms are in comparison oh. to, the, to like the weapons locker or something yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It always reminds me of the ones I drew as a kid that would all, yeah, never have bathrooms, but always have like five places to get guns, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. But so a whole bunch of sharks show up on opening night of the restaurant, including Hookjaw, who promptly starts trying to destroy the place. And I got to say, if there's one thing I know from shark movies, be it like uh, Jaws, like I think three, or like the, the most recent uh, Jason Statham movie, The Meg, it's that shark, sharks hate glass and will try to destroy it as soon as possible. <laughs> <laughs> but so I was just going to say, like, yeah. this would make a great Jaws movie. 
Like with the underwater restaurant. And- totally. Because you can have the, the drama from the restaurant, but also have the sharks coming in. Right. Although now I'm just imagining like Gordon Ramsay yelling at a sh- yelling at Hookjaw, and it's all it's all I've ever wanted. <laughs> you, know? you can't eat him, he's raw. You know, or something like that. Um, <laughs> but so the sharks break through the the underwater restaurant really easily. They're sort of in among the diners, eating people. People are under the escalators, but Hookjaw is just pulling people down. Mason dives underwater, grab a fire extinguisher, and, hooks, and shoots in Hookjaw's eye to save a couple. But the man's arm is still bitten off in the process. <laughs> Doctor Gelder once again swears revenge on Hookjaw, and Mason heads back into the water as the restaurant turns a solid red. There's one panel in here that's just there's no color in it besides red because the water's so oh, full I of blood. Oh, I love that. I love that they did that. But here's the funny thing that. The guy actually says that my arms ripped to shreds. Wouldn't be screaming his fucking head off instead of talking. He seems very cool about it. You're right. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's okay. He's like the Black Knight and uh, the Holy Grail. Yeah, it's okay. It's just a scratch. I mean, maybe he's just in 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 shock, but he's taken away better than I would. Hip deep in water, full of killer sharks, with your arm bitten <laughs> off. You know, with the blood in the water yeah. too. <laughs> but so. Through this bloody water, Mason swims to the kitchen, kills a nurse shark with a with, with, a, with like a butcher knife, and uh, stern- uh, he turns the gas fully on. Yeah, so and, he- and he turns the gas line on as well, and then swims back. The humans escape the restaurant, and Mason fashions a Molotov cocktail, throws it into the sealed, gas-filled restaurant, and the whole place explodes. I love this explosion because, in like sort of just the general wreckage going up, there are several like shark shapes. Inside yeah, the exploding yeah. restaurant. Um, Hookjaw, of course, naturally manages to survive the blast and swims away. It's a huge disaster. It's all Rick's fault. Aw, oh, geez, what are we going to do about this Hookjaw? You know, I, I tell you this, uh, Pop Mills knows how to write um, Man versus Nature, doesn't he? Mm-hmm. I mean, he does such a great job of, of uh, making like every human except for Rick Mason just be a, a huge jerk. Like, you yeah, just... it's like it's like in, in Flesh as well. It's just anybody that's around the main character gets killed. Yeah, fl- yeah, Flesh and uh, and Shacko too. Although I, I think that was Wagner and Mills that that yeah. wrote that one. Um, it's very much like yeah. I mean, they do yeah such a good job of making you root for the through for the monster to kill all these humans. Yeah, yeah, you feel you're like yeah, man, you're invading his territory of course he's gonna fucking kill you you want him to you want him to win i wanted Checo to win as well and i wanted uh i always wanted a big old big one eye to win oh yeah definitely i mean because because yeah because the people are bad you know it's just like okay <laughs> human beings are the worst man like, just I'm kill gonna, them all yeah like I'll, I'll happily have these guys kill these like uh in you know industrialists and fur poachers <laughs> And like whatever else, yeah, they're, you know? all, they're always some nasty yeah. pieces of work, aren't they? Yeah, and it makes them, and so it just means that that you get in that mood, and so it becomes okay when they also like kill a kid or something like that. <laughs> well, the kid's a brat; he deserves it. That's true. Actually, I was I was super happy when that kid in flesh got eaten. So it's a fair point. <laughs> He's a little shit. Yeah, and you know what? I'm really surprised that Clark Harvard didn't backhand the kid. <laughs> Well, I think somebody – no, I think like like the kid's dad – I don't know. I forget. That's like launch uh, flesh. Oh, I forget so much. You know what? It's like that – It's like that. Um, you can't do that nowadays. It's like um, you'd never get away with a scene like that in a comic – in a mainstream kid's comic nah. now. But like we were talking about Superman, the movie before, right? Mm-hmm. And there's there's a scene in that movie that always gets cut, cut out in cable when they show it in cable here. But if you buy the Blu-ray or DVD of it, it's in there. 
It's the part where Superman rescues the kitten from the tree mm-hmm. and he gives it to the little girl. The little girl runs in all excited. <laughs> and that's where they cut it for TV for ads, right? Uh-huh. But the kid goes in, 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 in the unedited version, the kid goes in, tells the mom, Mommy, mommy, a man from the sky gave me the kid. And that you hear a smash, a smack like, <laughs> Jesus <got> a Christ. <laughs> like, don't you lie to me or something like that. And then the, the movie continues. That is ridiculous. <laughs> Yeah, look for that scene, man. It's there. That's really something. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Yeah, they they usually edit that out for TV. Yeah, reasonable, I guess. Okay, (laughs) but now that we're on, like, we had just, uh, like, Death Game and and, and Hookjaw. We're on this giddy high, so let's cool it down with uh, non-stories, editorials, covers, action, action man, and money man. (laughs) Just the the non-story stuff for these issues. Uh, uh, In... uh, Issue 19, Hell's Highway begins with a big old truck cover. There, uh, and they spell Which only t- has one guy in there. Oh, get out of here, you Hell Highway guy. They also spell tire with a Y, which always freaks me out. Just that's the English spell. I know that's the real English spelling, but I don't like it very much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like some, uh, tires like some place you'd see it on a map in D&D. Exactly. Like, like literally, I think. <laughs> yeah. I actually it- like this cover. Yeah, it's cool. It's just a big old like eighteen uh, wheeler, like 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 rolling right towards you, like p- busting past people and stuff. It's awesome. Uh, inside the cover, Steve McManus has the issue off, so the editor, old Wooden Leg, takes over editorial duties. Though uh, Steve is still answering letters from the kids and stuff. There's an acrostic poem for action. A kid who accidentally ate a tulip bulb instead of an onion for like dinner or something. I don't know. Um, Mid-issue. Yeah, he's not that smart, is he? No. Like, all these ones are just kids writing jokes, and I can't tell, like, if they're actually kids doing it or just, like, you or, know. Or you can't tell if the, if the guys are writing it themselves it's, and pretending it, they were it, kids. It does kind of feel that way in a way that's different than, like, maybe the 2080 letter pages. These ones very much feel like like entries from a joke book that have been repurposed as letters. Almost. Right. <laughs> Uh, mid-issue, there's instructions for putting together uh, the four-issue hookjaw poster that that's ending in this issue. That an, looks um, that artwork looks great. It's so uh, man, it's just a giant hookjaw and all these people getting eaten by sharks all through the background. It's ridiculous. I, I'm tempted now to print them out on my printer and cut it out and paste it together. Just the idea of how big it would be too, because it's four-ish, so it's like eight of these like old like uh, British comic pages. So it'd be gigantic, you know? Yeah, um, massive. <laughs> There's also an ad for the Action Summer Special, which I think we'll be covering on the show pretty soon. The uh, then there's the uh, the final part of the Hookjaw poster where a guy is futilely stabbing a shark in the face, but that's not going to help you, man. You're in trouble. Um, <laughs> later in the comic, we learn that Money Man is off to Margate and to keep an eye out and just say the special words to get the five pounds from him. Yeah, that that kind of crap would never happen today. Going to a strange man and saying, "Hey." I mean, you're a money man of action. I claim the prize. Get it to my bag, kid. I feel like both sides are in danger in the court. In that, like both both the kids in danger from God knows what, and like <laughs> the guy that's giving out money on the street is in danger. Just from, <laughs> yeah, from, I know. Like, oh, there were simpler times. From some like YouTube guy trying to like you know get get hits by messing with the money man on the street and just like throwing an egg <laughs> on his face or something. You know, <laughs> like it's it bad both ways. <laughs> All right, so issue 20, action. It's the paper they can't t- stop talking about. Not for the nervous. Like, oh, guys, don't toss. Don't say that. Like, don't say, you know. It just feels like like whistling by by a graveyard to talk about. They like, used, they they used that, that. Thing, that, that uh, 
phrase as well they use for scream not for the nervous oh, i think they even have the same kind of writing as well hmm. same I wonder, fonts i wonder if it's a reference to some other um like some other advertisement or some old movie or something like that right uh, inside steve is still on vacation in somerset and he sent us a postcard there's a let like we're starting to see these letters of the week that are written in cursive and to me not because like i can read cursive like i i, I got that in oh, school but just because of the print and the size of these letters it's very hard to read them uh, like it's just like like it just looks like scribbles more than anything else it's just the one where where steve is being uh he, he says that he's being chased chased by girls yeah you're right. Like, that's his Me Too moment. <laughs> oh, no. Poor Steve McManus. <laughs> <laughs> Action man, indeed. Whoa. Multiple meanings. There's letters. Did you read Steve's book? Uh, yeah. I read. Yeah. I read most of it. I think I. I I I remember this period and how he was sort of like I I think it was actually off action like like pretty early in the run and at this point this is just a fake Steve McManus that they're just sort of like putting his picture in and stuff. The funniest thing in Steve's book is that he talks about going to the states, right? And mm-hmm. he's pursuing this one woman, right? And then it ends abruptly. Goes then I went back to England and did this 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 and I got married. Blah blah blah. He doesn't even say how he met his wife and. <laughs> You know, how he went. It just yeah. he's been trying to chase some skirt in the U.S. Couldn't get it. He goes back to England. Then automatically he's married. It's like the whole big chunk is missing. Yeah, I just remember that. That I remember that part in um in in the book. Like his, his U.S. adventures was kind of almost stream of consciousness or something. Yeah, yeah. And I remember it. Like I was like reading it like in the middle of like doing stuff for 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 a space spitter and just being like, give me give me the details. <laughs> like give me the give me this give me the yeah. You want the juice? The, the, the comic the stuff, stuff, but there wasn't know? really any, was there? No, I mean, yeah. Like there was no like there were one or two things, but it was mostly just like. Yeah, like we we worked hard and tried to make a good comic, and like they were successful, so yeah, it's fine. he's too too much of a nice guy. But <laughs> yeah. that's what probably made him a, a good editor. I think that's probably he was right. able to appease yeah. and able to balance everything. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, if you look at Pat, if you look at Pat, you read Pat's books. There's like there's an angry old man there. Oh yeah, just very. He went from an angry young man to an angry old right, man. It's just, but he, he just got, very, Pat's not afraid of naming names. Yeah, various stages of of an angry guy involved in comics. <laughs> yeah, and he's every right. Some of the some of the things he writes about, they have every right to be angry. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so there's also like letters that have an, an illegal soccer, like soccer tips that are illegal in the game of soccer, a kid who got real blood on his copy of Hookjaw, and then mid-issue money man's going to Blackpool and Dr. Magnus Pike, who's a science TV personality is twit of the week. He's also, uh, in the video blinded me by science. Oh, he, oh, okay. <laughs> that's that's, that's awesome. Magnus Pike. Nice. Uh, all these UK celebrities, I'm always way out of my depth with them. <laughs> Um, there, uh, and he would when he whenever he do science things, his hands would be all over the place to yeah, wave them. Interesting. Yeah, I don't know. You can you can go uh, go to YouTube. You'll see some clips of them. I gotta check it out for sure. Later, there's a big feature on tennis. Hey, if you're eight or older, you can get into tennis. So start training. Yeah, um, no, that's yeah, fine. I'm 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 perfectly nice as I am. Uh, Prog twenty two. There's a big death game cover this week, along with some other like smaller parts for Lefty and Hellman. It's always the picture of Hellman where he's like in his in his formal uniform and looking very dapper, you know. Um, Steve's back this week. He's got a cricket story that I don't really understand because cricket's very much a, a mystery to me. <laughs> there's 
a crossword puzzle that's been sent in by the reader, and a comic with a decent shark joke, which is, uh, yeah, like, hey, Jaws Jr., it's your favorite meal, baked beings on toast. All right. There's <laughs> also a very dark piece of Hellman fan art with, like, you know, a uh, tiger tank rolling through the desert and stuff. Mid-issue, there's a close-up picture, which is the first one we've had in a while. Some no-wall questions. And uh, quiz host Nicholas Parsons is twit of the week. Yeah, he's been around for he, – he was around for a long time as a game show host. And I don't think he did talk shows. I think he did games. Okay, yeah. I, um, there's also a set of cricket lessons. Um, yeah, again, whatever. There's then an action mouse strip where the mouse tries unsuccessfully to become a human or maybe rodent cannonball. Um, later, we learned that money that money man's headed to Bournemouth, and he's eating um, his ice cream in a cone made of a one-pound note, which seems incredibly unhygienic. That's the creepiest <laughs> fucking photo. <laughs> like, he's just like got this like ice cream and like with a dollar or with, with, with a, a a pound note around. And he's going to eat it. And it's just like, oh, that's gross, man. Like, yeah, that's that's creepy, man. You, you might have to cut out my swear words. But that's, <laughs> no, that's don't creepy. worry about it. Swear as you please, for sure. <laughs> Oh my god! <laughs> um, yeah, would you would you get a dollar from the, uh, like a, a one pound note from this man? Not really. Like I don't know. I guess because he's done it successfully in the past. Like I I kind of believe it. That was another thing actually that was in Steve McManus's book was the first couple times of just driving around or or walking around like cities waiting like waiting for herds of kids to find them and like do the money man thing. Which yeah, sounds, you have to assume they read action to begin yeah, with. It sounds kind of terrifying. I mean, that's why they started like. Like now they have like magic words you have to say to get the money and stuff. You can't just be a bunch right. of like random kids wandering the streets. <laughs> <laughs> Finally, after a long time, there's another uh, mani action device. This time, a mutt power electrider, a voice activated fountain pen powered by a dog's wagging tail to stay away from the dog it bites, and the ink bottle explodes. So you know it's there's gonna... there is a a famous U.S. artist that would do these kind of illustrations. Um, they'd be crazy that made notes like how the you know um, how dishes in the restaurant are washed and it's all right. crazy you know it's got to do with a bird wagging its tail to hit this to make this yeah. I can't remember the guy's name the uh, art, but I'll find it for you and send it to you but the art style do, of these really re- reminds me of a uh, Don Martin I think yeah but this guy is before Martin this guy would have been around in the in the 30s and 40s okay um, is- I'll, I'll I'll get his information and send it to yeah. you. And you can is that actually like a Rube Goldberg, or is that just the, the similar thing? Like the Rube Goldberg device or whatever that's just like a whole bunch of different things feeding into each other. But yeah, anyhow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's him, right? That's Rube yeah. Goldberg. Yeah, because that's what they always say when there's one of these things like, oh, it's just a giant Rube Goldberg thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's the guy. Yeah. Rube Goldberg. Yeah. Yeah, I love all that stuff. You know, whether or like in, a, in like Pee Wee's Playhouse or something, or, or Pee Wee's big adventure that had that big thing. I just love whenever there's a lot of like wires and pulleys and like, you know, some animal involved tangentially. Yeah. It's yeah. Always, always that's, key. That's, that's, that's Rube Goldberg. Yeah. <laughs> All right. And speaking of a complicated schemes, it's story five hell's highway. <laughs> Hell is a highway. I want to ride it all hell long. <laughs> Writer Jack Adrian, artist Mike White. Yeah, so it's a new um, action story here. I, I feel like this one is the forgotten action story because it wasn't. And it deserves to be. Yeah, it, it wasn't a launch story and it isn't one of the ones that, that got the comic canceled. So it's just sort of, it, it lives in obscurity. It's, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's a, it's a it's a kind of bizarre thing. I mean, yeah. it's a, like, yeah, I, 
I can't see the strip being anybody's favorite. No, because it's so like if it, it it kind of gets some like Running Man vibes, like the earlier action strip that was also about like like big road tripping stuff. Right. But like I don't know, like it it, it just feels like it, it it just feels really generic in a way that that one didn't. I guess. Yeah. Um, yeah, I agree. I, I totally agree with that. So the story's uh, Danny Cousy. I mean, well, yeah. look, I'm, I'm going to interrupt you again. Please, sorry. After you read Dredger, Hookjaw, right? Yeah. And, <laughs> no, and it's Death true. Game, and then you read Hell's Highway. I mean, of course you're going to be. Yeah, and it, and it lacks the, the, the humor that lets something like Look Out for Lefty sort of hang in, the, in, in contention. You know what I mean? Well, well Lefty's a little, uh, he's like a street urchin. Yeah. You know, he's a little, he can be a little shit. Yeah, and these guys are just just random dudes, basically. <laughs> yeah. yeah, this is basically uh, the Dukes of Hazard in a truck, right? Uh, yeah, so Danny and Steve, they're ex army buddies. They bought a big rig and are delivering cargo to Seattle. When they spot a flipped car, they investigate and find an injured government agent in the car, George Dooley. They speak to nearby the nearby town of Coeur d'Alene to get a medical attention. And afterwards, we see some slick characters surviving the crash, and they're after Dooley. They quickly sp- catch up Danny and Speed and uh, Steve to make them pull over, claiming to be cops. But they quickly see through that lie. This leads to a car chase, and the killers get knocked off the side of a cliff. Thanks to some quick break work. Uh, the guys get Dooley to the hospital. They tell the sheriff about the accident. But when they arrive back at the scene, the dead guys in the car don't have guns. And when they arrive at the hospital, there's no record of Dooley being there. Oh, they've been, like, framed or something. The, uh, the truckers are arrested, their licenses are revoked, and they have to sell their truck. After a string of dead-end jobs, they're approached by Lester Hartwell, a uh, sort of government agent. <laughs> he offers them their licenses back and the chance to get a new big rig, and all they have to do is deliver a cargo from L.A. to Cape Canaveral in five days. You know, I like I like how they're so incompetent at their jobs, like he's dropping dishes everywhere. You see them on it's the- like, have you seen uh, that, um, <clears throat> that YouTube clip of, like, white people... Of no coordination. It's all the, the uh Oh it's all the from, all the before pictures from those infomercials where like people try yeah, to like, yeah, like yeah. hold a bowl of chips and just goes flying out of their hands. Yeah. That's what these guys are doing. They're no good at anything else. Definitely. I I always think of the one where the lady tries to like pour spaghetti into like into the sink. She just dumps the whole I mean, thing right into the sink. Smashing. What a mess. It's like whoops. <laughs> right, so these guys they gotta drive the big it's another drive for the government. Good luck. They're going to need it. <laughs> <laughs> Here's the thing as well. Um, does the guy, the gangster, pretending to be a cop, is he showing them a badge? I think he's just like holding his wallet out or something. <laughs> like Because they immediately right. say, but, like, that guy's not a what, cop. But here's the dead giveaway. He says, pull over, Mac. <laughs> I mean, like, that typical gangster speak. Yeah, he's got to switch to his, uh, to his sir, please move the conveyance to the side of the, yeah, of the yeah, roadside, yeah. sir. That was a dead giveaway. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Shane, pull over, Shane. Yeah, Mac, we want to work, Shane. Oh, no, Mickey Spillane wants me to pull over. You better do it. <laughs> uh, so Danny and Steve, they're on their way to Cape Canaveral. They're approaching Phoenix, but their uh, their weight is over the legal limit. Uh, luckily, they have this special number they can call that just immediately has the government fix this stuff. But it also draws the attention of a way station guy who rats them out to unknown parties. Later, Danny and Steve notice they're being followed. They pick up a message on the CV on the CB radio that there's a, a roadblock up ahead. But like cops don't use the CB radio, so it's obviously a trap. 
they uh they crash through the roadblock or sorry first they crash into the car that's following them and question that guy to confirm that it's a fake roadblock then they just blast right through that roadblock <laughs> where I, I love how they use the truck as a weapon there's really a lot like one thing I do like about this is that they do you know they're, they're in this massive truck and they do really like like they don't really carry guns or anything like that they just sort of just run people off the road and smash into people yeah smash into with them the, with back, the big, have yeah, them back into them and- which is pretty solid just if you know that sort of Im, 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 embracing the weapons that that, that that they've been given for sure right um so they 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 decide to go th- um via back roads to dodge everybody else, but the road they're on has a weight limit that they're too heavy for, and they're running very low on gas and far from a gas station. They decide to roll on, though, crossing a bridge, destroying it as they go, and they're stuck hanging off the side of a cliff when a helicopter flies their way and starts shooting at them. The chopper lands and a bunch of goons get out. They capture Danny and Steve, and they start blowtorching open the back of the trailer of the truck when a cloud of gas starts pouring out. It takes out the goons. The boys are uh, managed to get back in the truck and drive on, gas or no gas. It's a good thing they never decided to check what's in the back themselves. I guess it was locked, but yeah, you know, like they just decided to not a- a- ask questions and it helped them out. Yeah, why wouldn't you ask? Like, well, what's in the back? Uh, never you mind, just get it down with this yeah. Well, I guess, I mean, I think that that's literally what happened. These guys are just not that curious, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. Danny and Steve make their, make their escape. When Steve gets shot in the shoulder by accident, Danny uh, runs the shooter down and the truck rolls out, but it's really low on gas. An hour later, they stop at a roadside shack to ask for directions to a gas station, which is, again, very unrealistic for these kinds of guys. But they soon find that it's the base of that helicopter that attacked them. The truckers, like, manage to ram the chopper as it's taking off with their truck and then just, like, slam through this shack and take down the rest of the goons as well. (laughs) Which is pretty, pretty cool, to be honest. Um, But once they do, another helicopter arrives, and it's Agent Hartwell. He's like, oh, you guys have cleaned things up quite nicely. And he reveals that the the trailer was just a bunch of concrete slabs in the back because they were just a decoy. They risked their lives just to fool these dudes that attacked them. Oh. And it's the only only the start of a whole lot of trouble. The the uh, the way the agent is drawn in the bottom right hand panel of the last page of the story, he looks like Oscar from uh, Six Million Dollar Man. Oh, that's right. Yeah, uh, like there's all these little jokes in here. That's interesting. Yeah, just another sort of government agent guy giving government agent jobs. I guess. Right. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, you know. Now they're locked in doing uh, seek, like truck-based secret agent missions for these guys. And that's the start of this new story, Hell's Highway. Hell is a highway. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, or just literally, I guess, a hi- you know, highway to hell. <laughs> I don't know if that's even, if that song's out yet at this point. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's ridiculous. But the last, the last part with them uh, taking out the chopper. Yeah, that's pretty and, uh, cool. They like check catch the bottom of it on on the on the trailer, yeah, the truck, and that was, stuff. That was kind of cool. Yeah. Um, and speaking of a uh, of a uh, good pals, do uh, you know hanging out and uh, having adventures? It's story six, Green's Grudge War. Writer Jerry Finley Day, artist Massimo Bellardinelli. And so, oh man, it's the story of Jimmy Bold or a uh, J- Jimmy Green and John Bold. Green slacking off while Bold. Uh, Bold smartens up his stuff. They're the original odd couple in World War II. This story comes across as such... It, it seems it seems out of place, and it seems that 
it belongs in like the Buster or 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 you know one of the kids really young kid like Wizard and Chips or mm-hmm. you know what I mean like um, yeah. it could be drawn in that kid style because it's just one guy trying to get one up over another guy and yeah. that's what those comedy strips were and it's very much like a series of lessons about like not being jealous about people and stuff like it's a <laughs> right. lesson for the so kids you know it seems that it, 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 it could have been you take the violence out of it and stick it in the kids comic yeah and I, although I think also like Bellardinelli I you know. Bellardinelli's fantastic, but I think he kind of stands out a little bit in these action comics. Like just the his art style looks kind of different from a lot of the other stuff inside the in the pages here. If, yeah, if, if it's, that makes it's sense. not a, it's not it's not an English style, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, there's still other like like non English like artists in here, but I, I I feel like like his lines are really clean in a way that a lot of the other stuff in action isn't. If if that makes sense, I guess. Um, his staging is better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Storytelling's better. Yeah, it's definitely not as hurried as a lot of these other strips. Like they right. definitely have enough. Like like Jerry Finley Day is just giving just enough to sort of let their let the story live on the three pages that they have for sure. Yeah, so, yeah. It looks like he, you know, even though there's a lot of panels, it doesn't look cluttered. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it just I don't know. Sometimes it has a different feel to the other stories, I guess. Yeah. Um, so. The Bold gets assigned a mission, and he takes Green along with him. That night, Bold saves Green as they scramble onto the net aboard a ship to like like to get aboard. And they're briefed they're going to save a British agent from Gestapo torture in Normandy. Uh, Bold is apparently the primary on this mission, and Green's really like like jealous and gristling about it. You know, as he always is. They uh, they take a raft to land and sneak into the town where an air raid siren goes off. Which is dangerous because now, like, the place they're at is being bombed, but it's also the perfect cover for them to sneak around. They fight their way in, stabbing dudes and kicking down doors. They free the agent and make their make their escape as the tanks roll in. Green tries to be heroic and just tries to, like, hold off the tank with his Tommy gun. But Bold and the agent, they're, uh, they're saving uh, commandeer a German artillery piece and take the tank out with that. <laughs> they make their way back to the ship and Bold is commended for his quick thinking... Curse you, Bold! <laughs> Although, I do like at the end how Bold's also like, oh, well, you know, Green was there helping out. Like, he's trying to be a cool guy about it, but Green's just con- uh, Green's just constantly freaking out and, 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 you know, being angry at Bold for stuff. <laughs> <laughs> that sets a pattern for the whole strip. I mean, absolutely. Like, it's very much... One. Like, I mean, I've, I've, I've said before, the sense I get is that Bold thinks he and Green are the be- are best friends, you know? <laughs> And they like so he like lets them hang out and they like do stuff together and stuff and the whole time Green's just seething and wants to kill Bold really badly. Yeah. <laughs> so the commandos are are getting ready for a mission to create a diversion in a town while the Navy sinks a destroyer, which seems pretty easy. Uh, Bold um, Bold helps hand out the information for the mission and Green's like, oh that brown noser. The squad, the, the squad soon lands on the beach, and Green and Bold jockey for a position. It's it's kind of funny because they're both like uh, like I'm going in, cover me. Like they say that to each other at the exact same time, and and I'm like both going after this machine gun nest and tossing grenades in it at the same time, which is which is pretty fun. As they approach the town, another German tank ro- uh, rolls in, and Bold jumps on top of it while Green uh, blows a tank tread, and the vehicle goes off the side of the pier with Bold aboard it. Oh no! The Navy's able to destroy the ship, and the commandos prepare to depart, but Bold isn't there. They assume he's been taken prisoner, and they do like a like a a, a quick like 
taking of charity to send to the POW so that like Bold will get like some extra food or something. And uh, Green puts in five five quid because he's like, yeah, you're finally out of here, Bold. It's just me. But back in England, Bold is waiting for them because he got picked up by the Navy and he's totally fine. And now Green can't even get his fiver back from the POW fund. Oh, geez. <laughs> like there's other there's other POWs out there too, Green. Get out of here. <laughs> Uh, finally, the commandos are in a battle in the French countryside, and they have to cross some barbed wire, and so Bold's ordered to take it, and he basically just goes and lies on the wire to act as a human bridge for everybody else to cross it. Uh, naturally, Green takes this opportunity to step on Bold's nut, which I'm imagining is his, is his head, but his you head, know, yeah. use your imagination. Um, <laughs> the commandos prepare to head out, but Bold's still stuck in the, in the barbed wire, and Green's ordered to go back and help him. Green saves Bold, but they miss, like, the rest of the patrol, and they're sort of stuck in Germany on their own, basically. They try to find their way out, but accidentally find themselves at the German garrison instead of the radio station that the rest of the commanders are blowing up. So they've missed all the action of the battle. At, at the German at, at the garrison, the Germans start to, like, respond to the radio station being destroyed, and uh, the commandos string in, spring into action, killing some Germans, uh, planting some demolition charges on a bridge and destroying that as well, stopping the counter-assault. They uh, fight their way to the coast, steal a boat, and ride out to the British ships, just getting avoid, just avoiding getting shot by their own guys. But back in England, uh, Green and Bold are both written up for desertion for not being there for the battle. Uh, no matter what heroics they did otherwise, it's kind of funny because Green's like, oh, we destroyed that bridge. We'll be hailed as heroes for doing it. And back in England, the brass are like, we don't care what you did. Like, you weren't there when you were supposed to be. So you're on report. And like their their pay, their leave are canceled. And they're just sentenced to potato peeling for the next two weeks. <laughs> yeah, it's it's usually nothing ever really turns out well for Green. But it's no. nice to see them both get in the soup. It's true, yeah, because usually, like, like Green thinks it's going to happen, and, like, at most, something bad happens, and Bold just agrees not to tell or something. So it is it is funny to see Bold actually have to deal with the consequences and, like, be angry at Green a little bit, which is pretty rare in the course right. of these comics. Like, usually, Green's just sort of, uh, or Bold, yeah, Bold is sort of affable and doesn't notice that, like, Green's trying to mess him up all the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, and and speaking of uh, unlikely friendships, <laughs> it's story seven. Look out for Lefty. So, uh, writer Tom Tully, artist Barry Mitchell, and Tony Harding. And yeah, man, it's time for more soccer action. It's Lefty Lamp Left Lefty Lampton. Last episode took a severe kick to his left leg from the brother of a hooligan that robbed his gra- his granddad's shop shop. Uh, and it looks like he's going to be out of the game. And because of that, like the, uh, the coach of the team is just like, ah, oh, like you're injured lefty. Like you, you know, your soccer dreams are over because you just got hurt in this random game, <laughs> you know, which is rough. Lefty asks for the, for the painkiller spray, the, fa- the uh, famous magic spray of, uh, of, uh, soccer games that I've seen, uh, even I've seen several times, but the coach won't give it to him. But his daughter, lefty's new girlfriend, Angie will. Oh Yeah. <laughs> Uh, she's she'll, from, she'll give it to him. Oh, you, you, yeah. Listen, a <laughs> lot of spray play going on here. She's forgi- <laughs> she's forgiven him for standing her up uh, the, the 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 last night because she's seen that um, he's got a deal with these five hundred plastic garden gnomes and dozen carnival masks that his granddad bought from a loan shark like the other night, basically. God. Lefty's back in the game. He's ready to kick some ass. And what proceeds is like basically a a, a soccer murder. <laughs> like, <laughs> 
he yeah, starts, he's using the ball as a as a weapon. He just he starts knocking people out just with his kicks. Like you know, he he rattles one goalie's brain. He like kicks another goalie so hard in the gut that the ball and the goalie both go flying into the net. And he, like, well, I, I tell you what, that. he he in the strip he's supposed to have a really good left foot. It's right? true. Yeah, and now and, he's just like powered by by spray drugs or something. Right, I'm gonna show my age. Right, back in the old days, that soccer ball would have been. Like kicking a fucking rock. Oh, interesting. Yeah, because the, the the balls back then were heavier. Mm-hmm. Um, they were made of pigskin as well, and uh, uh, they had laces to keep them together. Um, you'd have tie laces around yeah. the, the leather balls back then. Yeah, so so so, so that ball would have been pretty hard. I guess it makes sense why it's also more damaging when he kicks people in the face with it and stuff <laughs> like that too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, it would have been it would have been a pretty heavy ball. Yeah. Soon the whole team is just running away from Lefty. <laughs> They're like, we don't want to play anymore. Like he's gone full. Um, he's gone full full Rico and Spinball next ish next episode <laughs> <laughs> with with his kicks. Um, the team wins six to zero, which is ridiculous. And Lefty seems to have proved himself for now, at least. And in a final act of niceness, Angie pushes the car full of the cart full of gnomes and masks home, letting Lefty sit on top of it. Uh, next, Angie and Lefty arrive at Lefty's shop, where they're met by Jack Stacy. The geezer what sold the gnomes to Gramps. Was the Tom Tully right? Left, look out for Lefty. Yes. Yeah, that makes sense because he, he he wrote a lot of soccer strips, even Roy the Rovers. Absolutely. Yeah. No, this th- this feels completely in in Tom Tully's uh, wheelhouse for sure. Right. Uh, so Jack Stacy braces Lefty for the ten quid he's owed for these guard gnomes and like kicks him around a little bit, knocks Lefty into Granddad. Lefty's really angry at his grandfather, but like when he yells at him, his granddad doesn't have his hearing aid in. It's just like you scored how many goals in the game? And it's like, oh, you're too cute to be yelled at, even as gangsters are, are threatening to kill me, Granddad, because of your actions. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the the next Monday. Lefty's leg is getting better, and he's got another school game coming up. He, he, like, shows off his leg, but a powerful shot goes straight into the head of mean Mr. Gosling, which gets Lefty a dang caning. Just, like, he pulls him down and just hits him with a, with a cane in the classroom. Oh, it's ridiculous. Oh, the good old days. It's just full-on uh, another brick-and-a-wall situation here. Well, the, the corporal punishment, was that was common, man. I mean, yeah, I know. Like, like, listen, I'm sure 100% that this is just me being, you know, like a like a panty wasted millennial that I'm so bothered no, by no. this. No, here's the <laughs> thing: I, when I when I went to school in Ireland, um, they were all Catholic schools, right? Mm-hmm. You had boys' schools and girls' schools, right? And uh, the nuns would would be part of the running the girls' school, and the priests would be part of running the boys' school. Mm-hmm. I was different because I was uh, I was non-denominational, so I went to a different school. Mm-hmm. And the school I went to didn't have corporal punishment, but all my friends were Roman Catholic. Oh yeah, and so, and so I would hear stories of them, you know, getting pulled up by the ear, to go to the front of the class, to stand in the corner, getting smacked with big metal rulers. Yeah, I, um, all that kind, of, and that was that was that was the done thing back in the seventies. It's crazy, like all this stuff bothers me like more than like hookjaw eating somebody or something. Oh like yeah, that. It's I, just I like... mean the school I went to, there was no corporal punishment. Um, it, and all the teachers I had were, it was a mixed school, boys and girls, and all the teachers I had were female. Interesting. Uh, yeah. Which that was unusual, highly unusual in, in the seventies in Ireland. Interesting. So yeah, I kind of the... looked out with, with my school days. <laughs> right. Yeah. That just sounds like what it is in, in, in America. That's that's funny. Big differences, I guess. 
Oh yeah, I mean, I, I had friends that would they, their 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 hands would be black and blue from the teacher smacking them. Good lord, these you know whatever. These and the teachers parents in the past, these parents, oh, these everything, just whatever. The system. Duh. <laughs> so at the game, Lefty sees Sid Smythe and Sid Smythe's dad, a local shop owner, and he gets a plan for some con artist stuff. <laughs> the game begins and Lefty um, hits a bicycle kick, which sends the ball straight into the head of Sid Smythe. Sid scores and Lefty hugs him like they're best pals. He's up to something. He's good, because usually, previously, they've hated each other quite a bit. So Lefty's playing hard, but he's not playing hard for himself. Instead, he's just sending sweet passes and and uh, and, and and making opportunities for Sid to score and do really well in the game. Um, it's help, um, And uh, helping Sid is also really earning some appreciation from Sid's dad, which seems to be the point. Because uh, we see the con now starting to, to take shape. As Lefty laments to Sid's dad about not being able to sell these dang gnomes that he has. And then Angie shows up with her buddies and they've all got like pop mascots, which seem to be like action figures or something for various Well, like, they could probably cut out groups. like a picture of Cliff Richard's head and stuck it on the front of the gnome. Yeah, exactly. You know, John Lennon's face, stuck it on the front of the gnome. <laughs> right. The Beatles stuck it. Oh, yeah. they're pop like a... Like, <laughs> they're pop selling like Led Zeppelin. Pop figures. Yeah. It's weird. But, um... <laughs> I don't know, um, but yeah. Well, so it's weird that the that that the the uh, the guy is so simple that he's gonna buy them. Yeah, Angie says like, "Oh, you could do this, Lefty, and like be able to uh, sell those gnomes off for a lot of money." And Lefty's like, "Oh, I don't have the time or the money to do that." And Sid Smythe's dad's like, "Ooh, but I could do that and be a savvy businessman." <laughs> so Lefty helps Sid um, score. Again, score more points, and Sid's dad brings Mr. Gosling in on this gnome venture. The team yeah, wins. Sid's dad isn't yeah. a great businessman at all. You can't tell that they're just pieces of paper stuck to the face. And if he needs, like, a teacher to help him purchase these gnomes from this kid. Like, <laughs> right, he's not the smartest. Like, I don't understand that part of, of the con or something. Then again, when you look at Sid, Sid is like Lenny from of Mice and Men. Gee, George, tell me about the bunny rabbit, George. I scored some goals today. Yeah, scored some goals, George. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the game ends. Sid scores four, scored four, four goals, and after the game, Mister Gosling offers to buy the gnomes from Lefty for fifty pounds, which he he agrees to. Successful sting. They so so um. Lefty's grounded. What kind of house do they have? Are they like rag and bone men? Yeah, they're uh, like it reminds me the most of like a, of, of of like Sanford and Son or something like that. Yeah, it's, well, you know, Sanford and a, Son was was an English show. It was a uh, Stepphone Son. Oh yeah, 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 but yeah, it's that same sort of thing. Of yeah, they kind of ha- have a junk shop that that yeah. sells a bunch of random stuff. Well, that's that goes with uh, what Pat would do with with 2018 stuff, right? Where he'd have stories that were based on stuff that was around at the time. Yeah, like Hook Jaw was Jaws, and Look Out for Lefty was. You know, Steptone son or Sovereign son. Yeah, that makes definitely that definitely makes sense for sure. They show up. They got fifty pounds, so they can repay the loan shark and still have money left. They celebrate with champagne, and Lefty's granddad is left belching from it for the next half hour. No, oh, how would a cute old man? <laughs> Something. <laughs> well, we don't have loan sharks anymore. We have those businesses now. What do you call it? Uh, checks loaned or cash oh, yeah. loans. Yeah, n- yeah. Now you just have to do it through, uh, th- like you you can just advertise for it on, on late night TV instead of having to. Uh, yeah, and you still get over bracing old men, you know. <laughs> yeah, 
It does, doesn't matter. You still get screwed over. Yeah, that's true. Oh, very sad. And speaking of uh, of uh, broken systems and uh, evil Americans, it's Story 8, Hellman of the Africa Corps. Writer Jerry Finley Day, artist Mike Dory. And it's Tunisia, 1943. Major Kurt Hellman is fighting in the Nazi retreat from North Africa, but has recently been supplied with three new Tiger tanks. But it might not be enough as we see a patrol of Panzer Grenadiers slaughtered by a column of American Sherman tanks. Hellman rides out to retribution, but Colonel John T. Rock uh, gets his U.S. tanks ready to receive them. He's like another character that could be on Dukes of Hazard. Uh, he's very his name. Vi- very Roscoe P. Coltrane <laughs> with, his, <laughs> yeah. with yeah. his tank commanders. Um, the battle begins, but the U.S. guns aren't strong enough to penetrate the armor of the Tigers, which Hellman um, uses to his advantage to destroy three Shermans in quick order. Colonel Rock orders a retreat, and but soon a jeep bearing a white flag appears because the colonel wants to talk to Hellman about how to deal with the wounded from the battle. Uh, we see He's full of crap. Seriously, and uh, SS Kastner, recognizing one of his own, doubts that this is true, but Hellman just assumes that Americans are honorable, which turns out to be false. <laughs> Um, Damn Yankees. Oh, man. Uh, Colonel Rock destroys Hellman's vehicles and takes him captive. He's uh, beaten by American troops and tied up to a car while they continue, like, beating and, like, playing chicken with his Batman. Like, just driving a tank right by his head and stuff. Um, Hellman manages to steal one of the Colonel's, like, cigars after he, like, throws it on the ground. And he uses the cigar to burn through his ropes and set a Jeep on fire and make it explode. In the confusion, Hellman kicks a tank turret at the colonel, and in the confusion, escapes this Batman. Hellman yeah, returns. I, I don't think that works that way. No, because I mean, literally later, like in another comic, he break see- his leg with Navy. <laughs> yeah, because because we see him having to reconnect the electronics to move a turret in a later comic. This issue or or this episode, you can't. Yeah, they don't just travel freely like that. They weigh like a thousand, like a hundred pounds. Or something. <laughs> he must be uh, related to look out for Lefty. You know, or uh, yeah, he just got the little pieces. You know, whatever. Yeah. Lefty's uh, German heritage heritage on display, I guess. Um, So Hellman gets back to camp. He cleans up and prepares to get revenge on Colonel John T. Rock, the Yankee Colonel. I mean, he's one. I mean, he's got a. He's like got a. He's from Alabama. He's not a Yankee. That's what I'm trying to Uh, say. Well, here's here's the thing. I know. I I know. Anybody with an American accent, no matter where they're from, is called a Yankee. I'm just saying. I don't really appreciate this new character. (laughs) No. Like I don't, I don't like that that, that 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 there's a Nazi good guy and an Amer and an American bad guy going on here, you know, especially because because all the British um get, like like there's been no real British characters with with uh ki- with uh personalities. There's bringing this bad this America to just be a bad guy for Helen to deal with. Yeah. <laughs> um, Helen and his tanks they're rolling through the Tun- Tunisian mountain passes, and Helen leads a patrol of scouts to try to take a bridge over a nearby river. But it seems that this is a, all a scheme by Colonel Rock. They've got the bridge wired with charges. But but before they can do anything, Hellman smells a rat because he sees that the bridge, um, that this bridge clearly won't carry the 75 tons listed on the side. And the 7 and 75 doesn't have a cross through it because through it, it's an American 7, not an international 7. It's a trap. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there you go. You know, hey, you know, you notice the, the last page of this installment, top Top left-hand panel, you, you're only supposed to drink half a beer because we, we got a goth in, but not Himmel. <laughs> My God. Oh, we only sang part of it. We're in a hurry. 
Um, Rack still blows the bridge and the explosion takes out most of Hellman's troops, but Hellman himself managed to swim away to safety. Um, Rock says that he'll still win because he's got some stolen rockets that'll take out the Tiger tanks. And so Hellman decides to uh, outsmart him. As the Tiger tanks arrive, he uses, Hellman uses binoculars to start a brush fire, that, the smoke of which blocks the view of the Americans. And um, he, qu- he talks to his tank commanders and then like does a diversion of Rock, like yelling at him from across the river, drawing his attention for when the Tigers suddenly flank them by coming out from underneath the river itself. Which I thought was pretty cool, actually. I, I, I like looked it up, and I guess because these like uh, Panzers were so heavy, they actually made them watertight with like a uh, with like a snorkel that could let them go underwater because they couldn't cross like regular bridges. So they just had to like go on the on the on, like oh, wow. under, under the river, like through them. So like you know, this thing says that it, like. You know, uh, Hellman explains and said that, that tigers can go up to 13 feet underwater. And I think the record was like 40 feet or 50 feet or something like that. Like they could go pretty deep if they needed to, which is kind of well, that's probably Jerry Finley Day using his World War II knowledge. Absolutely. This really feels like like I've got a piece of uh, World War II knowledge and we're going to use it in this comic, you know. Um, yeah, that was pretty, pretty cool. Yeah. I think it's, yeah, like just that image of the of the tiger tanks coming out from under the water is is is, is, is pretty neat. Um, so Hellman's troops come under heavy fire as more and more rocket tanks arrive to face the Tigers. Hellman takes his men to hide in some nearby Roman ruins, success, um, successfully avoiding it, um, some planes spotting him. And then under camo netting, Hellman strikes at the American tanks, but eventually all the other tanks are destroyed by the oncoming Americans. Um, but as Colonel Rock's tank fl- uh, drives through the ruins... Hellman manages to uh, coax the turret of a destroyed tank back to life, spins it, and destroys the d- destroying ruins as he does. So, like the uh, the tank that like so, Rock bails out and it ends up just being Hellman versus Rock in an old gladiatorial arena. Oh, it's like it's like uh, a mock time. It's real Perfect good. Spock. Yeah, definitely. Rock has a knife. Hellman's got his helmet and like the camo netting, which he can use as a net. So it's really like gladiator stuff going on here. He goes in, catches Rock's knife with his net, and then brains him with the helmet. Victory, Hellman! <laughs> he escapes into the nearby catacombs and soon arrives at the sea. He's survived, but it's clear that the German cause in Tunisia is a failing one. Um, so yeah, he's got to get out of there quickly. Join your favorite kraut next week. Just don't Is call him like, a heine like, like a rude American. term, right? Kraut? Yeah, like... <sighs> that will be like, join your favorite chink again next week, or... Join your favorite job. I think it's interesting that they're portraying the Americans as being jerks for calling Germans heinies the whole, like, these past three weeks. That they yeah, call here he is Kraut at the end of Kraut. it. Yeah. Join your favorite patty again next week. You know? Right. It's like, okay, like, I guess... Uh, this is a weird. I I I really don't like this American, this evil American guy. I don't care well, for it. Well, it's 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 a unique strip because usually yeah. strips where you know the good guys are always the allies. Absolutely no. I I understand that's part of the difficulty of having this like uh, German character and having him be the hero in these stories. You know. Oh well, it's like um when when on well social media is terrible for this, but. You know, if you see uh, a German in uniform, he's automatically a Nazi. Not every German soldier was a Nazi. 
I mean, yeah, you that's, know, that's like yeah. saying that everybody, everybody, that every American that fought in World War II was a Republican, no Democrats, <laughs> because I mean, the Nazis were a party. They were the Nazi yeah. party. I, and I mean, Hellman definitely crosses path with like the actual like like members of the SS and things like that. Like right. the, and the, Rommel, the, the Rommel, true believers. Rommel hated like even Rommel. Rommel hated Hitler. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's just like I feel like for me that I, I feel much more of that distinction in 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 these parts of the Hellman story where they're like losing and they're like you know fighting like like a rear guard action and stuff. Right. It was like it was hard. It felt harder for me to to make that distinction when they were like winning battles during the Blitz and stuff. At that right. point, like the fact that you're holding your nose as you help conquer the world for Hitler, I don't know how much of a difference that makes. Sometimes, you know, I don't know. Right. Right, and and the the, the American was probably all all the uh, rabbit ears, bad Americans, rabbit ears were probably based on Patton. Right, I mean, true, and I mean, I'm not saying that like you know Patton was a great general, but he's he was crazy. Yeah, and I don't want to say that all Americans in World War II were like lily white good dudes. That's definitely no, not yeah, true. Yeah, right? so I think it's it's kind of a it's kind of a unique strip because were were there any American comics at this time that showed things from the German point of view? I mean, absolutely not. And I know that that's a big thing for for Hellman too. That that he's kind of unique in that in 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 this way as well. Didn't didn't DC have a German flying ace? Oh, that's right. I forget. Enemy ace, right? Yeah, I think that's right. But but I don't I, think they were they were they they would be written like this though. No, because I think even then, like maybe you'd have like a, a like you'd still experience the character from like a, a member of the Allies' perspective or something like that. Uh, I don't know that one very well. I'm sorry to say, so I can't like speak about it. I'll have to look up that now because yeah. that, that's made me curious. But yeah, Hellman's kind of kind of a it's kind of a unique strip. Yeah, I mean, it is. It does make it interesting just because you've got this character. You know, he doesn't like the Nazis. He's just doing, you know, he's sort of doing his German. He's doing duty. his job for yeah. his country, or whatever. But he's definitely still doing his job. You know, I feel like yeah. when when there are stories that are about like Germans in World War II, they're also sort of like not just like living their lives or doing things, but specifically anti-Nazi or something. You know, right. like they're sort of. Like I could see a version of this where like Hellman is like also working with the resistance or something like that. You know? No, there there were probably soldiers like Hellman that yeah they felt that they were doing what was best for Germany. They might have disagreed with Hitler and disagreed with what the what they were doing, but even they were they felt patriotic and they were fighting for a country. Yeah, I mean it's a, it's a it's a hard situation. I think it's an interesting choice for a comic as well. Like I don't yeah. know. Well, if it were all the same, the world would be a boring place. I suppose so. You know, maybe we could find ways to be different that doesn't involve being a Nazi, though. I guess that's my <laughs> that's my He's point. He's not a Nazi, though. <laughs> right, He's but a the, German soldier. Right. I'm just. <laughs> I'm so, just. There's a distinction. See, I'm just. Be, put, you, can, you know, I'm just, I'm just putting that it's out. It's a weird there. one. It is. It is <laughs> yeah. interesting. It does offer a lot of. Yeah. Like, if you were to write this story, what way would you write it? You know what I mean? Yeah. De- no, I mean, yeah. It's definitely a hard. St- like, I. I I think uh, Jerry Finley Day is doing it the best way that you can to do this kind of story, and I think he does a good job at it. You know, I'm a big Jerry Finley Day fan, so it's yeah. interesting. Well, look at the end of the day, he lost everybody except himself. Right? Yeah. Everybody, no. all, all his troops and tanks are destroyed, and he's the only survivor. Yeah. No, I feel way better. Like I said, I feel way better about like Hellman and rooting for Hellman and stuff when he's losing as opposed to when he's winning. You know, <laughs> like that's fine. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> Um, oh man but hey with that sort of in-depth discussion we finally reached the end of this month of action all right this is uh better than i remembered it 
I mean, there's so much like you bastard. Now I'm gonna have to go and read all the back <laughs> issues again. I mean, you you know, read the first 35 or so. You know, after the after the censorship, you can sort of stop. You know what I mean? <laughs> I don't know. I think I'll I'll you know just hook jaw alone might be worth reading the whole lot. Um, you know, I'm interested to see where it goes. Yeah, there's so many of these things that are just like I mean, you know, they're three pages long. They're full of incidents. <laughs> Like I, I feel like I write more for each individual. In, you don't, like, you don't read them in five minutes. I'll no, tell you that. yeah, because you like if you do, you'd never get what's going on because there's all these little right. things in them. Like even you know, like like the, I, I think back to like the the Carnival Dredger one where there's that little thing of him injecting the doctor at the last minute and him dying of a heart attack and stuff. Like you didn't yeah. have to do that. He could have just burned with the rest of everybody. If they wanted to put that little piece in there just as an extra stu- extra part of it. To show how, how such a tough heartless guy he is. Absolutely. He's like, I want to specifically like freak you out to death. Take that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but man, okay, Stephen, I got to ask you, what were your top and bottom stories of this, of uh, these issues of actions, number 19 to 21? Well, it, it was a toss up for, for the worst. I go worst first. It's a toss up between Green's Grudge War and uh, Highway, well, Hell's Highway. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Cause the, Green's Grudge War, if you took out the violence in it, it could have actually appeared in Wizard of Chips or Buster. It didn't mm-hmm. seem like a real cutting-edge story, even though the artwork is, is like you said, it's kind of unique. It, it's yeah. really clear, and the storytelling is great. Um, Hell's Highway, uh, it's just ridiculous, but it kind of saves it. The last part kind of saves <laughs> it by taking out the chopper. Yeah. So, so uh, if it was a pick one... Um, Probably Green Scrooge War was the worst. That's fair. And what's your top? What's, what's your the favorite? The best for me. Is, the best for yeah, my favorite. It's kind of hard to pick. Uh, there's so much goodness in here. Like Dredger's just batshit crazy. Yeah. He, <laughs> no, that's, just, this is the challenge. I feel like because everything's so so ridiculous. So ridiculous, right? And uh, I I like Blackhawk uh, because. It, to me, it was like it, it should have had a natural ending with him being world champ, like a bittersweet mm-hmm. ending. But then they they put in the kung fu stuff, which is kind of you know. I'm sure it gets even worse. Even you said like there's like five or six. Yeah, it gets going on. There's so much going on in Blackjack. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Yeah, Blackjack. Yeah, I like Look Out for Lefty. It's a very traditional uh, soccer story for me. Mm-hmm. Um, it, 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 it's not really. But if you pick up any other comics from around this time, you'll see some some standard stuff like that in there. Mm-hmm. Um, Hellman, I liked it from the from the Germans' point yeah. of view, uh, but I uh, it's between Hookjaw and Death Game. Oh, nice! Uh, what do you got? Uh, got e- probably, e- exploding you know, melons versus cyborg man. Oh, it's the eternal question. Yeah, shark versus <laughs> cyborg man. I uh, and Hookjaw is one of my favorites of all time. Like of of all all the action stories, you know, mm-hmm. but. I think that game just just edges it a bit because it's so over the top. Um, That's reasonable, you know, yeah. Yeah, it's just the artwork is actually very unusual for me as well. It's, it's like it doesn't. Uh, it's just it, it just it's like it's different than all the other. Like you remember you saying about Ballard Nelly yeah. being a, being a standout. I think. The artwork in that game as well, compared to their strips, yeah. is, is I think kind those, of unique too. The, those two feel like opposite ends of the spectrum almost. Like like Bellarino's yeah, you know, got these really yeah. like like smooth lines and like the uh the death game's really like 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 harsh, like it feels like it's like stabbed onto the page almost sometimes. Like it's just yeah. like it's you, a very you know rough what style. It reminds me of it reminds me of Ken Raymond. 
Mm-hmm. From yeah, the yeah. Opera. Um, but yeah, it's I I think uh, I think that game just edges it for me. But I do do find it weird when people are screaming like "ah" or "i" <laughs> that it's in the same font size as every other text. Yeah, I mean. That was a strange one for me it's in all a, these strips. Yeah, it's such a sad thing about action. This, uh, the uh, computer, like the typewriter uh, uh, lettering, you know? Right. That's such a big innovation in 2000 AD, I think, for oh, British yeah. comics, just I, to have I, it be. I pushed for that too, I yeah. think, in Kevin O'Neill. I, I remember, like, yeah. I've definitely read him talking about that. Yeah, just the, uh, the the stuff you can do with the hand lettering is really, can really take, take, or take, a, take a comic to the next level, I think. Could, could you imagine the cursed earth, reading the cursed earth with this type type text? <sighs> no, it's because, I mean, especially like I I, 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 I feel like growing up with American comics where everything's always hand lettered. Yes. Like, like for me, like especially, especially when I started reading action, the, the typed lettering was a huge barrier to entry of just being able to read it and, look, and right. not, not looking right. weird or like, like looking fake or something. Yeah, well, part of the reason they did that as well is that when they translated in different languages, is it was easier to switch out mm. the. Yeah, no, I can, I, I, I can, I can imagine to be cheaper also and all that stuff. I definitely see reasons to do it, but it's yeah, still... but it, it doesn't look aesthetically pleasing yeah. at all. It's still, I, to me, whatever you save or or however it works with money, like the uh, the the aesthetic change is such an important one. That's really important. Or, and you or know really they, they kept it all the way up to the end of its run too. Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting, yeah, just that move because I, yeah, it's in, like uh, it's it'd be, it'd be interesting to see like when they when British comics really made the jump to hand lettering, I guess, or you know, starting with two thousand eight, even then how it sort of goes to other comics and stuff. Right. But yeah, I think for me, I think I'm I'm gonna say Hell's Highway is my my worst or my bottom story. It's right. just it just feels so generic most of the time, and like, well, there are some cool parts, you know. And I like any time a, a truck blasts, like someone gets run over by a big truck, or it blasts through a, a roadblock or something. Um, <laughs> this one, it just kind of feels like I don't know. It feels very vanilla in comparison to what's going on in like Dredger right. or uh, or Hookjaw or something like that. Yeah, the, the two main characters don't really have a personality either. I definitely can't tell the difference between Danny and Steve. Like either one could be either one at any given moment. Right. Um, and then I think for my top, ugh, um, I think I'm gonna agree with you actually. Uh, with a uh, with a uh, Death Game 1999 as as as, as my top story. Um, I love this Rico character just because you know he's like this. He's 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 the he's the predecessor to Artie. Yeah, he just you know I love Artie Gruber in all those Harlem Hero stories, and this guy's so clearly like Artie Gruber, like version 0.5 or something like that. <laughs> that I can't I can't I help it. but love him. Like a- yeah, and he's just a crazy bastard. The minute he appears, he's trying to kill people. Just never stops keep trying to kill people, <laughs> you know. And uh, and then I like I didn't realize until now the uh, the uh, Rico and Joe thing, which is just a weird Judge Dread Easter egg. That, like, right. That like I'm gonna be I'm gonna have to ponder a little bit now just to kind of figure out what's going yeah, on. How with they that reuse head. different things. Yeah. And... It's a funny thing. I feel like yeah, there there are sort of names that get used a lot in the course of these comics, you know. Um, I, yeah. I think you should do a. I, I really think you should do a, a reaction fanzine and do like uh, five or six page stories of like crossovers, <laughs> like Dredger meets Hookjaw or uh, Blackjack. Uh, you know, takes a yeah, he's t- thumbing a lift and the guys from Hell's Highway pick him up. <laughs> this show definitely 
be an action universe. Yeah, there's so much room for all these guys to uh, to bump into each other and do, do ridic- and just have ridiculous things happen. Dredger, Dredger, <laughs> Dredger's in a coma or something. He wakes up in the, in the year 1999 and he's part of a death game or whatever. <laughs> That'd be amazing. Oh, man. Okay, yeah, you, you give me food for thought, for sure. <laughs> yeah, there definitely has to be some crossover stuff going on. I mean, there must, like, even if it was just, like, that's why I said, like, I, because I, they said that the guy in, in Blackjack got, was in an accident with a big rig, and I just wanted them to show, like, say the name of the drivers where the Hell's Highway guy or something yeah, like that. Yeah, and like Green and Bold, uh, you know, come face to face with Hellman. Right. <laughs> You know, just so many awesome. things you could do. Oh my god, that I want to see. That feels like something they could do. <laughs> yeah, it's the same just, arena. So just it's like it'll just be them, to... them bickering, and then Hellman drives by in his tanks. Like oh, these, <laughs> these Americanos, so crazy, or, or these Britishers, so crazy. You know. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, bold, man, bold, uh, bold ends up uh, saving the day, and Hellman retreats, and then uh, Green doesn't get any credit at all. That's how that would yeah. end. Absolutely. Oh, man. Okay, Steve, this is an amazing show. Thank you so much for coming on Space Spinner well, Reaction. Thanks for having me. Oh, yeah. I hope everybody else enjoyed the show as well. Come, uh, Feel free to contact us at spacespinner2000 at gmail.com. On the 2084 is our Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter page. It's on Twitter, at spacespinner2k, everything else. Space Spinner 2000 we should be there. Then come back next time as Dredger deals with Geppo. The Grudge Warriors fight fire with fire. Hell's Highway rolls along. Rico arrives to play at the Death Game. Hookjaw performs for a crowd Blackjack continues his kung fu adventures And Lefty's late for another match And finally, Hellman Heads to the Eastern Front Dun 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 Exactly, until then, I'm Conrad There's Steven, oh sorry I'm uh, Cut that part out, hey Steven uh, Is there anything you'd like to plug Or where can people no, find you on okay, the internet? No, it's okay man, you can, you can that's fine. You can just end it the way you did. That's oh, fine. I'm, I'm sorry. I'll, I'll tell everybody to check out the Everything Comes Back to 2000 AD podcast, an excellent podcast Stephen's on, covering all those uh, modern 2000 AD things as we slowly plug away here in the past. This definitely worth a listen. And until then, I'm Conrad. There's Stephen Reader of Everything Comes Back to 2000 AD. And we are Space Spinner Reactions. One big first ring. Yeah.